Greetings, brothers and sisters in Christ, and also greetings to those joining us online right now. Now, we are about halfway through our First Corinthians sermon series, as today we're going to come to chapter 8 and 9. You know, these two chapters reveal a profound truth about discipleship on the willingness to lay down our rights for the sake of the gospel. You know, laying down our rights is not easy. You know, people are championing personal freedom and self-expression. You know, the world has taught us to fight for our rights. No, stand up against injustice. But yet there's a fine line between standing up for what is right and demanding everything we desire without regard for the consequences to others. Laying down our rights becomes difficult when we are so attached to the notion of having things our way. And this mindset is fueled by the belief that we deserve you know, everything we want, you know, when we want it. We insist on our rights, often at the expense of others. No, while there's a place for the pursuit of individual rights, it becomes problematic when it leads to an inability to see beyond our own needs. And this is where people shared, and this is where Paul, an apostle, has shared some insights from these chapters on laying down our rights for the sake of the gospel. Let me just give a very quick overview of these two chapters. In chapter 8, Paul was addressing the church in Corinth as there were conflicts and disagreements arising from different opinions about eating food sacrificed to idols. You know, some believed it was acceptable, while others considered it sinful. But Paul addresses these issues and provides insights on how believers should navigate such disputes. Today, I will not cover chapter 8, as it will take another sermon to cover this whole portion. But I'd like to encourage you to actually sign up for our midweek teaching series on the Chinese custom as shared earlier in the Wesley Highlights. This is going to be held on 28th of September. And we have invited Reverend Daniel Tong, who is an expert on this topic, as we hope to learn some practical response to this issue. But today, I'm actually going to focus more on chapter 9. It's a very long chapter. I'll just be reading selected portion from Scripture to give us a context of this passage today. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow with me on the screen. I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll begin from verse 1 to 2. Now Paul said, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. I jump to verse 12. If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. And then verse 15. But I have not used any of these rights. And I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. From verse 19, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, 
that I may share in his blessing. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we listen to your word for us today, may you open our hearts to you and allow your word to come alive in our hearts as we learn how we can lay down our rights for the sake of the gospel. Will you hide me behind your cross as I share your word? And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, today I'm going to share with us three discipleship lessons that we can learn from chapter 9. First, you know, laying down our rights to do God's work by relinquishing our entitlements. Second, laying down our rights for the sake of the gospel by adapting to others. And thirdly, laying down our rights for spiritual growth with spiritual discipline and perseverance. Let me begin the first discipleship lesson for us. You know, in the beginning, Paul started out his arguments on the rights of apostleship. You know, the word apostle means one sent under commission, which refers primarily to the 12 apostles and Paul. You know, this man had a special commission to lay the foundation of the church. And one of the qualifications of, for being an apostle was a personal experience of seeing the resurrected Christ, as described in Acts chapter 1. Let me read verse 22 to us. You know, Scripture says, for one of these must become a, a witness with us of his resurrection. So Paul argued from this that he saw the Lord, you know, when he was traveling to Damascus, as described in Acts chapter 9. So he was a legitimate apostle. Therefore, as an apostle, Paul argued in verse 12 that he had the right to receive support from the people to whom he ministered. However, even though he could rightfully expect such financial support for being an apostle, especially having been instrumental in establishing this congregation, but Paul relinquished his rights to receive support for the Corinthians as he wanted to demonstrate the principle of laying down his rights so that nothing can hinder the gospel of Christ. You know, when I was reflecting on this passage, you know, one of the biggest rights I had to lay down was actually a different career path when I was discerning, you know, whether I had to enter into full-time ministry. You know, in my late teenage years, I actually heard and discerned, you know, God was leading me into the pastoral ministry. But I was wrestling in the terms of the timing, you know, when I should actually start serving. One of my particular considerations at this crossroads you know, will I be financially stable if I started full-time vocational ministry you know, at such a young age? You know, at that point of time, I was still serving in my last year of my full-time national service. And I was actually excelling, enjoying my service. I was a signal officer at that point of time. In a few months before I actually ORA did, I received an opportunity to be awarded this uh, military training award. And I heard from my commanding officer that you know, only certain batches were given this opportunity. So this award means that you know, one will be sponsored to be trained at Overseas Military Academy. You know, I would have gotten a huge lump sum financially if I sign on in the SAF and a nice military career will be set up for me. So when the opportunity came, I reserved that decision for a while as I knew that I will be bonded in the SAF if I would take on any military scholarship. And I reasoned with myself that if I had to take up this offer and to sign on the SAF first, serve my bond, and then later earn enough, start a family before going to the pastoral ministry, 
You know, I thought that was a very good, wise advice you know, that I should go into. So at that point of time, I decided to meet one of the pastors to get some advice on you know, what should I do you know, with this uh, decision. And this pastor shared you know, how God always provided for him when he answered God's call. After I spoke to him, he gave me some clarity with what I was wrestling with. You know, but before I continue, I'd like to just make mention that you know, God calls us in different ways. You know, I know some have been called to, to work a season of their life in the marketplace first before they actually entered into full-time vocational ministry. But for me at that point, I felt convicted that if I were to take on this ministry training award, it would only be for my own financial gain. And I sense God challenging me to take that step of faith and trust that God will provide. To give my first fruits of my life right after national service to serve God in full-time vocational ministry instead. And so happened when I scheduled that meeting with this pastor, he actually shared with me that at that point, he was, this was the pastor overseeing the youth ministry. And he said that the previous youth worker actually just resigned and went back to the corporate world. And they were actually looking for someone to replace him. And then, and then you know, he offered me this opportunity you know, to you know, consider working as one of the, the youth ministry staffers before I went for theological studies. You know, in the end, I obeyed God's leading. I took that step of faith. And now looking back, in the last 12 years since I entered full-time vocational ministry, you know, even though I gave up a potentially great ministry career path, I can say God has been faithful. He provided enough for me to get married, to start the family, build a home. And it's been a great joy and privilege for me to serve in the pastoral ministry. And I could experience all this because 12 years ago, I took that step of faith to relinquish my rights of this other career path. And secondly, we lay down our rights for the sake of the gospel by adapting to others. I'm going to spend a bit more time on this passage here from verses 19 to 23, as there's a lot of lesson we can learn from this part. And Paul did all he could to bridge the gap, to adapt to different cultures and customs so that he could share and proclaim the good news to others. And this does not only refer to just cross-cultural missions, where some are called to be missionaries, where they learn to adapt to the culture, the people group they are reaching out to. But even right here in Singapore, we too can bridge the gap and adapt to the communities that we are in. But first, we need to understand what Paul meant when he said, I've become all things to all people. I've become all things to all people. You know, here Paul is not applying situational ethics, which means Paul is not saying we become immoral to reach the immoral. You know, he did not say I become a murderer to reach a murderer. But actually in the grey areas of life, such as, you know, eating food sacrificed to idols, as read earlier in chapter 8. You know, this was an example when Paul was more sensitive to the pre-believers so that he would not hinder them from receiving the gospel. He does not assume that all aspects of culture are inherently evil. So what Paul did, he contextualized the gospel, changing the way how the message is communicated, but not changing the core content of the gospel message. And this takes a lot of divine wisdom, because we do not want to compromise our faith. You know, especially today, you know, there's this rise of what we call a cancer culture. You know, I know many Christians who fear getting cancelled you know, for sharing their faith openly. But the Apostle Paul offers us some insights on how we can share the gospel wisely. You know, this is what some call relational evangelism or friendship evangelism today. 
You know, I believe many of us, we have pre-believing friends, be it from school, our workplaces, or the community involvement that we are in. You know, we need to value them as God's creation and His image, and not just as potential objects of conversion. I know when we become familiar with each person's unique hopes and fears, we can actually contextualize the gospel in such a way as to speak most directly to those concerns. You know, just last month, I shared a devotion with the Wesley staff team, and it was just before National Day. You know, I shared that as follower of Christ, we are called to be actively engaged in the well-being of the nation that we reside in. The day we receive Jesus Christ into our lives, we become a child of God, and we hold dual citizenship. On one hand, we have, we have our earthly citizenship. On the other hand, we hold an eternal citizenship in heaven as well just as Paul so described in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. And there's this tension we need to hold in this dual citizenship. But one of the constitution rights, which I'm grateful for in our nation, is Article 15. If you are familiar with it, Article 15 of the Constitution of the Republic of Singapore guarantees freedom of religion in Singapore. It states every person has a right to profess and practice his religion and to propagate it. So what this means, evangelism to anyone and everyone is clearly permitted by our Singapore constitution. What the law seeks to prevent is insensitive, aggressive, religious proselytization. This when you know, when we share the gospel in a very aggressive way. But you know, we can profess our faith. We can share our faith. The penal code criminalizes speech which deliberately promotes ill will between religions. Or in simple terms, we can promote our own faith without putting down another faith. So for Paul, his strategy for evangelism is to become all things to all people. And a few years ago, when I was still a very junior pastor, this was in my previous church appointment, I was recalled for a two-week high-key reservist in camp training. You know, leading up to that reservice, you know, one of my prayers was to ask God you know, to show me his purpose for me you know, during that in-camp training. No, I saw you know, these two weeks was like a mission trip and I prayed for God, lead me to divine appointments I was spending these two weeks in camp. And the first opportunity came when one evening one of my fellow reservist mates uh, initiated a conversation with a few of us on what are our vocations. So I shared that you know, I'm a pastor and, and that led them to opening up to me about their own faith as well. Subsequently, news spread about my vocation, my entire platoon, and a few came up to curiously ask me, you know, what led me to become a pastor? You know, I think I'm probably the, the, maybe the first pastor they ever met. So that gave me a wonderful opportunity to just share a bit my journey with them, and how I came to Christ, and what led me to serve God as a pastor. You know, at the end of my service, a couple of them actually texted me separately that, you know, they were actually very keen to visit the church they were serving in. So at that point of time, my service was during the Holy Week period and I shared, you know, we have our Holy Week services coming up. You know, I'm actually preaching on one of the services. You know, feel free, you know, if you want to come any of the days. And true enough, they actually came by that service that I was preaching on. But why I'm sharing you all this, although my full-time vocation is a pastor, but I was also was an officer in the SAF as part of my national service duties. I abided by the laws and the rules of my role there. But I also had a right as a citizen of heaven to share my faith to the people along the way. And this is what the Apostle Paul did if we read in verse 20. 
to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. In a note that Paul was a Jew, but when he became a Christian, his standard was Christ and not the law. But when Paul was ministering to the Jews, he placed himself under the law, along with their customs, as long as it did not affect his walk in Christ. He adapted to them so that he could win their confidence, trust, and then witness to them. If you read on even in verse 21, he said, To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, so as to win those not having the law. So this, he also lived like a Gentile. The Gentiles were the non-Jews that were not under the law. So likewise, to gain their trust and then to witness to them as well. And then in verse 22, he talked about, he said, to the weak, I became weak. To win the weak. Here Paul was referring to the new Christians, where he became weak to the weaker Christians who were still very new in the faith. He conformed to their ideas and opinions just to have an open door to help them grow in Christ. He laid his personal rights to reach the new and the weak Christians. He is mindful not to be a stumbling block to them, as described earlier in chapter 8 on food offered to idols. So he became as one of them in order to win them. You know, here actually Paul highlights a paradox in this passage. You know, by becoming a servant to all, we actually gain this freedom to reach more people with the gospel. You now let me say again, he did not compromise on his Christian faith but he adapted according to different cultures, different communities, so that he can understand them, live like them. And all this was for the greater purpose to save some and personally share the gospel message to them. You know, sharing the gospel can take place anytime, anywhere. It can take place over a meal, meeting someone over lunch, over coffee. It can be a casual conversation with a group of friends or colleagues. You know, we share Christ on what he had done in our life. Just like you know, how we share, you know, something good has happened in our lives. You know, we want to share that with our friends as well. You know, I remember when I was in national service, we used to have this long 24 kilometers route march. I think the man here may remember those days. You know, in those long route marches, you know, we need to keep ourselves focused to keep us going through the long march. And what I found helpful was to have meaningful conversations with the people around me about all kinds of things. We had opportunities to share our lives our dreams, our joys, our challenges, and even our faith. You know, in another season of my life, I was involved in what we call sports ministry, where we actually use sports as a means to reach out to others. You know, in fact, even before my national service, I was interning in Wesley for a short period as we were, as a sports intern, we were trying to pilot a sports ministry here in this church. Today, this sports ministry is called uh, Sports and Wellness under our Weakness and Evangelism Ministry. So as a sports intern, I actually got a C-licensed coaching certificate to coach this sport called football, which was a very new sport in Singapore at that point of time. You know, this was to actually give me some credentials to use this sport as a form of outreach, you know, to go to the schools or to, to even coach people even in church. You know, for those who have not heard of this sport, I know a fun fact, the Singapore Women Football Team just won the Team of the Year Award in the recent Sports Award when they won the World Championship and became world number one. So this is after many years later now, football has been quite a renowned sport in Singapore. But many years ago, when it was still very new and nobody heard of this sport, we actually formed this Wesley football team and became 
because it was so new in the country, we actually asked, you know, invite your friends, come join us. You want to learn this sport? We will have pick-up games. You can invite anyone. And we used to hold pick-up games at the back of Wesley Methodist Church. You know, at Fort Canning Park, there's this uh, Fort Canning Green. So we actually got the football nets and we just invite people, come learn this sport. We even formed this football team to, to join a Christian sports competition. And through those com- weekly times that we meet with the players, you know, we got to know them. At that point of time, I was serving the youth ministry still, and we actually invited our entire Wesley Troopball team to come for our YM Easter Outreach Musical. And we could do that openly because we actually built a relationship with the people there, with all the players. You know, we spent a lot of time with them in the weekly trainings, in a competition. And this is just one example of what relational evangelism is. You know, earlier in the Wesley Highlights, we talked about the digital Wesley. You now that's another new sphere of a new form of outreach. You know, through social media, through the digital sphere, that you no, know, you never know how God can use even tools like this to, for the gospel to be spread across the world. So friends, you know, all of us, we can learn to engage with a diverse group of individuals, communities, when we value their uniqueness while sharing the unchanging truth of God's love through our lives. And this takes a lot of posture of learning, you know, striving to understand different perspectives and viewpoints as we adapt to where they are at without compromising the gospel message. And then lastly, we lay down our rights for spiritual growth with spiritual discipline and perseverance. And then Paul went on to share from verses 24 to 27 of an analogy between the Christian life and a race. Let me read verse 24 and 25 to us. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. You know, here Paul uses the analogy of an athlete going through strict training before running a race. And likewise, that is what the Christian life is like too. It takes spiritual discipline. It takes perseverance for us to grow in our Christian faith. And Paul reminded us on the importance of pursuing the heavenly prize with that single-minded focus. With such discipline means giving up, laying down all our worldly temptations and persevering on in our faith journey. So to better understand this analogy here of an athlete, I actually asked one of my small group members who was a former professional national sprinter. Some of you may recognize him. He was, he's actually one of our PMP vocalists today. You know, if you have not heard, Kelvin Kang used to be represent Singapore in a 100 meter sprint at many levels. He represented Singapore in the Sea Games, Asian Games, Commonwealth Games, World Championship, even the 2008 Olympics. You know, many years ago, you know, you had those Milo teen. If you know that picture there of that runner, it's actually him. He was the poster boy of Milo at one point. At his prime, he ran a personal best of 10.47 seconds in the 100 meter sprint. You know, that's a very fast time, 10.47 seconds. So I was very curious, you know, I asked him, what's the kind of strict training that all professional athletes had to go through? Just as what is described in verse 25 here. Just curious, do we have any other athletes around here? People who used to train here and there? Okay, if you're an athlete, you might be able to relate to the kind of training that you go through. You know, he said professional athletes don't go on full gas throughout the whole year. 
know, they pick, they select the competitions they want to pick in. You know, usually there's two picks per year. The first pick is to test their foundational form. The second pick is to test and tune towards their best form of the year. You know, at his peak, he trained up to nine to ten sessions a week. Each training had a specific purpose. For example, for a sprinter, he focused from acceleration training to speed endurance. He also focused on volume for the foundational pre-season training. And he had to keep his form. He had a very disciplined routine during competition days. He had to ensure he had sufficient sleep the night before. And his coach would actually check on them on what they do in the weekends. He would need to watch his food intake. For example, before training, he would take in more carbs. Post-training, more protein. You know, he had to sacrifice much time with his friends to actually focus on his training. And besides all this, he had to handle the pressures of the media and the critics as well. You know, this is just a snapshot of the strict training regime that professional athletes had to prepare for. You know, for us as Christians, we are in the race because we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But like the athletes who had to discipline themselves to achieve that prize, we too, we need to lay down our worldly temptations in order to grow in our spiritual life. And it takes a lot of discipline. The discipline to spend time in prayer. The discipline, the time to study God's word. The discipline to make time in a, to be in a church community. And all this we do is to help us ensure we nurture a deep relationship with God. You know, we were going through different challenges in life and we need to persevere on in our discipleship journey. And what helped us is keeping our eyes on the eternal price. And that's keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ. Just as Hebrews 12 remind us, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And this is where we go back to Jesus Christ as the ultimate example of one who laid down his rights. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was fully God. But he humbled himself by surrendering his divine rights to become human for our salvation. And Paul described this in Philippians chapter 2. Let me read verse 5 to 8 to us. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who by who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In the ESV translation, he write, he described how Jesus emptied himself. Even if you read in the NLT version, it described how he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. So friends, as we look at the ultimate example of Christ, we are too caught to lay down our rights. And that is the cause of discipleship. You know, Jesus challenged his disciples. If you read in Matthew chapter 16, let me read verse 24 to us. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple 
must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And this is what we are all called to do. As we lay down our rights, when we sacrifice our personal entitlements, when we adapt to others, you know, we are actually emulating the selflessness of Christ. And that is what the true greatness of the kingdom of God is. It comes not from asserting our rights, but from joyfully surrendering them for the sake of others. And all this is possible because we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So friends, let us lay down our rights to do God's work by relinquishing our entitlements. Let us lay down our rights for the sake of the gospel by adapting to others around us. Let us lay down our rights for spiritual growth with spiritual discipline and perseverance. Come, let us pray. Let's just close our eyes, bow our heads. I want to give us some time to respond to God's word today. If you sense the Holy Spirit prompting your heart to lay down your rights for the sake of the gospel, which means laying down our own entitlements, laying down our worldly rights to grow spiritually, laying down our rights so that we can adapt to others, so that we can win others to Christ. You know, if that is you, can I encourage you to just lift up your palms to God as a physical act of our surrender to Him? And I'd like to pray for all of us right now. Come, let us pray. Almighty Father, as we come to your throne of grace, we thank you for sending your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, more than 2,000 years ago, who humbled himself to be born in this world, and the ultimate example of one who laid down his rights and his life for all of us so that we can come to that saving knowledge of you. Lord, you see our hearts and our responses to you today. You know, we know the cause of following Jesus is not easy. But we ask that you empower us with your Holy Spirit so that we can lay down entitlements, lay down our worldly rights to grow spiritually and to lay down our rights so that we can win others to Christ. So Lord, we pray for divine appointments. We pray for wisdom on how we can live this life for you and share this good news to others as well. As we pray all this in your Son's most precious name, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen and Amen.